Leadership File on Premier. Welcome to the Leadership File, bringing you conversations with leaders and experts on leadership themes. I'm Andy Peck, your host, and of course we're recording safely now during the lockdown that the UK is under. Uh, and so this week I'm welcoming back to the Leadership Farm, Marcus Honeyset, the founding director of Living Leadership. It's going to be via Skype, of course. Uh, the stated uh, min- uh, ministry aim of Living Leadership is to contribute to growing disciple-making leaders in the church by providing training, support and resources that promote gospel faithfulness and lifelong fruitfulness in ministry. So Marcus is currently the author of three books, uh, Meltdown, Making Sense of a Culture in Crisis, uh, Finding Joy, uh, a Radical dis- Rediscovery of Grace and Fruitful Leaders, How to Make, Grow, Love and Keep Them. And I say currently because, um, oh, and a fourth, uh, sorry, with Tim Chester called uh, Gospel-Centred Preaching. And then uh, hopefully soon to be the author of a fifth. Marcus is writing a book on leadership and fear, which of course seems rather apt given that many are fearful of the possible effects of COVID-19 on themselves, their families and their communities. So lovely to have you back, Marcus. Thank you, Andy. It's nice to be back. So, I mean, like many Christians in ministry, and especially itinerant ministry, your diary has had to had to change, no doubt. Yes, very abruptly. Had a very strange period about two weeks back, where in the space of three or four days, my entire diary just disappeared. And I've seen over the period between now and then, Christian leaders in a couple of groups, so church leaders who are going at full pace, flat out, trying to figure out how to pastor our flocks in new ways, and itinerant leaders and sort of supporting ligament ministries, uh, maybe a little bit like us, many of whom we just got our entire diaries cancelled, maybe even our incomes too, and we're wondering what does God want to teach us through this period? And uh, I guess one of the things that's really making me think is how much my emotional state depends on me being active being able to control my own comings and goings. I might not make much of an idol out of money, sex or power, um, largely through lack of opportunity, you understand. <laughs> but do I make an idol out of those things? And I know lots of folk who, like me, are finding these challenging times, not just because of the virus, but because of identity issues. And, of course, your your family circumstance, just to, you know, without going into details, your, your, your wife's uh, involved in teaching? Yeah, she got lots of responsibilities at school, but um, we have a very young son. So I guess like many listeners, I've been trying to juggle doing daddy school with trying to be as conscientious about work as I can. And after a couple of weeks of daddy school, I think primary school teachers should all be paid a million pounds a week. <laughs> That's wonderful. Well, I have a, a wife who's a primary school teacher, so <laughs> she, yes, we would, we would value that. Yes, indeed. But um, yeah, so... Um, yeah, and there's a new. I think you know, hopefully there'll be a newfound respect for for the, the skills and art of teaching. Absolutely, um, good stuff. And all the things that make society work. Well, indeed, indeed, yeah. So your your book looks at fear. So what what is it aim aim to do? So at uh, Living Leadership, we pastor and disciple leaders. Uh, we hear stories all the time about leaders who find that at some point in their ministry lives. Fear and anxiety become a driver, sometimes uh, an important driver. And maybe that's true for every leader at some point. But we also find that very often folk are unable to describe or admit 
to themselves what they're experiencing, let alone work that through with anybody else. So the aim of the book is to try to give some shape to the conditions and routes that Christian leaders can take into fear, to, to give some basic understanding of what it is, what they might be experiencing, then hopefully to give some reflections on what to do when fear strikes us, how to develop strategies, what support structures might look like when folk find that they are overwhelmed with fear but can't admit to it. Even though it's complex and multi-layered, a little bit of reflection on what the starts of some routes out of it might might begin to look like. Sure. I, I mentioned that you're writing it. Uh, how far how far are you through the book? Oh, I'm about two thirds of the way through a second draft, so a little way to go yet. But um, the material's all there, and it's been very good to have the chance to play test it at conferences and with church leaders and find that as soon as you start to shine a light, as soon as you start to say, are these the kinds of things that you're experiencing, to find that there's a very warm reception to it. Right, right. And, and will there be a, a, a kind of redrafted bit with COVID-19 as part of it? I hadn't thought about that until you asked me a couple of days ago. Maybe. Um, there's a big external factor here that, that comes in, isn't there? I think one of the things that's that we've all seen COVID-19 doing uh, as quick as it has come on us. Um, again, perhaps is to drive some of us to think, oh, I have to be a strong, performative leader. People need to see me being resilient. Maybe they need to gather around me uh, and know that things will be all right and the church structures will be okay and, you know, everybody will know that church is able to continue when in fact most people are quavering inside and feeling very vulnerable and weak. And I wonder if the Lord is wanting to teach some of us at this point that actually we don't have to be those... I, I don't have to be super strong Marcus leader and the thing for you to do is to come and hang on to me and therefore everything's going to be all right. I wonder if the Lord wants to teach us that actually... The critical thing is that we can be weak hangers-on together to a super strong saviour. Mm. Because I don't want people to have confidence in me. I, I don't want to be a person whose confidence in the Lord is just surface deep. I want to be somebody who, um, at this time, I guess is digging the gospel as deep into my heart as possible, even though I feel vulnerable and weak, concerned about the world and about family and church and isolated and want people uh, to come and be together with that sure. not to think that they have to join into strength except that the lord jesus is strong hmm. the lord does cause desolations on the earth but he's also the one who still storms yeah indeed so how can we have gospel optimism and confidence in god but not confidence in strong leaders sure and and that's perhaps where the there's a sense in which the, quote, secular management, be strong leaders type of message kind of conflicts with the Christian servant-hearted leader, honesty, transparent message. Well, I think so. Um, yeah, it's very easy at the moment to look around um, the world and think uh, I, I, this language of key workers is interesting, isn't it? Because whatever a Christian leader is, it seems to be the complete opposite of that. And therefore, it's easy to feel a bit useless. So in the NHS and in politics and food logistics, I want strong, fix-it leaders who know how to solve some huge problems. 
And I think it's really easy to try to adopt that into churches and say, well, that's what Christian leaders should be. Whereas actually, the job of Christian leaders is to encourage people's hearts in the Lord. It's prayer, it's ministry of the Word, it's proclamation of the Kingdom of God. And you think, well, okay, if we're doing that with our people, does that help them to uh, run the foreign office any better? Or to make sure that the food reaches Tesco's any better? And the answer is probably not. But it does encourage them in God while they do it. And it helps them put their confidence, not even in life itself, but somewhere that's really lasting. Yeah, sure. So what might be the kind of trajectory that might be in kind of ministry-related fear? You mentioned, um, you know, the book and some of your themes. So specifically ministry-related fear. Uh, it's really struck uh, by something that Archbishop Justin Welby said. I think he sums it up very well. He said, the hardest work I've ever done and the most stressful was a parish priest, and bear in mind he'd been an oil executive. He said, that was mainly because it was isolated, and it was insatiably demanding, and I was on the whole working without close colleagues, and that just wears you down. And and I think that that's right. Obviously, lots of things in life cause fear. At rock bottom, fear is about um, anxiety that we've put our hope in insecure places. But specific to Christian leadership, I think that there are two standout things that at living leadership we see all the time that cause fear to blossom. Uh, one's external, one's internal. And those would be opposition and insecurity. And very often they feed off each other and, uh, and they combine to form imposter syndrome. That's often the start of it. But then I think that we get shut into fear by what I call the fear cell. And the walls of the fear cell, four walls, would be I-C-E-D, isolation, complexity, exhaustion, and discouragement. So isolation, that's what what Justin Welby said. Every single Christian worker experiences that. You never have completely symmetrical relationships, even if you think you're growing relationships of mutual depth and friendship and fellowship in the gospel. And, of course, lots of Christian workers experience long periods of working alone and long periods of relaxing alone as well because we're working when other people are off and vice versa. Greatly magnified if you're single. If you only have yourself to rely on for maintaining a healthy life and grace-filled patterns of leadership and accurately evaluating all the complex situations and pastoral issues, if you only have yourself to rely on for self-sustaining your spiritual life, that's now and impossible let alone when you meet opposition or criticism. Single, isolated Christian workers are some of the loneliest and most vulnerable people I ever come across, especially if they're away from extended family. And then complexity. Churches love to grow the number of things they do, and we almost never deliberately simplify things. I wonder if that's something that God wants to do through the coronavirus. Somebody showed me this um, equation recently about the number of potential relationships in churches. I'm not a mathematician, but apparently a church with 50 people has 1,225 potential relationships. (laughs) One of 100 has 4,950, and a church of 400 has 79,800. Gracious me, right. So uh, leaders frequently struggle not just with an increasing number of tasks, but with the complexity growing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure, some of that's self-inflicted by our inability to say no, but much of it isn't. Mm. 
different kinds of needs, different expectations, different demands collide with the expectation that leaders are kind of competent to all of them, or at least we're paid to deliver all of them. Mm-hmm. And that happens right until we work to the max with some things that we can do, many that we're not qualified to do, but have to pretend that we can do. And then you just get into unsustainably complex patterns and fear is an almost inevitable response sooner or later. Yeah. Marcus, we're coming to a, <clears throat> um, a break. So if we could go for the uh, E and the D, uh, I don't know if you finished your C, but <laughs> um, we'll do that after the break, if that's OK. Oh, let's, let's, let's do that after the break. Then. Yeah. Fabulous. So you're listening to Leadership Far with me, Andy Peck, and I'm joined this week by Marcus Honeysett, who's uh, soon to be uh, writing a book on uh, fear and leadership. And we'll be back just after this. Welcome back to The Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Marcus Honeysett, the founding director of uh, Living Leadership, um, a ministry that contributes to growing disciple-making leaders in the church by providing training, support and resources that promote gospel faithfulness and lifelong fruitfulness in ministry. And so he's writing a book on uh, on fear, particularly, and leadership and the elements of fear within that. And obviously with the COVID-19 um, aspects of, of life that all of us are facing. Uh, so I thought it'd be a good uh, a good theme to look at uh, this uh, this Sunday. Uh, and so, Marcus, you were halfway through your um, acronym ICED. You'd looked at isolation and complexity. Uh, so now on to exhaustion. Energy exhaust and exhaustion, I think, frequently go in cycles. And uh, Christian leaders are in a situation where we have so many open loops, so many things that don't admit to closure, that the temptation when we are full of energy is to push some difficult things onto the back burner but not to deal with them. And then what happens when exhaustion comes is that we no longer have the energy to keep them on the back burner in our lives. So it doesn't come alone. But when our resilience is low, all kinds of other things pile off the back burner as well. So exhaustion frequently results in catastrophizing for Christian leaders. It represents a tipping point where things that may have been degenerating gradually then start to to get out of control. I was really um, struck by an illustration that a friend of mine told me recently. It's from the world of bank accounts. And he was saying, I want you to think about the difference between a current account, which has daily incomings, daily outgoings, your balance goes up and down, that's what it's for, and your savings account, which has a steady and secure and hopefully increasing balance. It, that, that, that's the ballast for you. And your current account can bounce all over the place as long as um, uh, you, you're not afraid of that instability. That's what it's meant to do. You're not even afraid if an extra expense comes in and and you go overdrawn, provided you've got a steady balance in your deposit account. But if your deposit account's empty and then your current account goes overdrawn, then that's a matter for fear because you haven't got a safety net. Now, just applying that to exhaustion spiritually, our our day-to-day ups and downs may well be causes of fear. But it's held in check if you've got a good amount of ballast in your spiritual deposit account. That is, if you've got long-term healthiness in our relationship with God, if we've got depth in prayer and in the scriptures, if we've got habits and relationships that strengthen us daily, then that will carry us through the normal instabilities of life in Christian leadership. But if you don't, then the sudden ups and downs and exhaustion in particular, do cause us to spiral out of control. Yeah. And 
then drive us into uh, tiredness, moroseness, heaviness of spirit, and catastrophizing is frequently a result of that kind of uh, exhaustion. Yeah. And I don't probably have to say much about discouragement. Nobody comes into Christian work expecting it to be unrelentingly discouraging, and praise God, often it isn't. These things are not true all the time. But I think there are some common misapprehensions that will result in discouragement sooner or later if we believe them. So if you believe that ministry work will be the ultimate place for meaning and fulfillment in your life, it will disappoint you. If you think that it will provide greater community of depth than elsewhere, then it probably won't. If you think that being paid to do spiritual work will somehow result in a closer walk with God, it will disappoint you. Uh, People can expect those things of us, but they're not automatic. And of course, discouragement can be cumulative. It gets worse with age and experience. Uh, Some experience it very keenly as part of a midlife crisis when we start to cast a resentful eye at what friends and church members have done with their lives and feel that by comparison we, (laughs) we embrace something very different. When friends have accomplishments to show and preferment or promotion in their workplaces, benefits and pay and lifestyle... We we can remind ourselves of John Stott's wise statement when he was young, that a commitment to Christian ministry is a commitment that we will never earn the whole wide world. But it can still be very hard when people in our churches are happy that we and our families made sacrifices for the sake of the gospel that they would dream of. And I think it can be further exacerbated if you see some people who, for very laudable reasons, consider a second career in Christian ministry, having already got a degree of worldly security that those who started out in ministry can never dream of. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, So lurking under a lot of discouragement Mm. is a sense of unresolved loss. You know, you may not have set out hoping to lead a mega church, but at least you hoped for an enthusiastic church where you could lead in discipleship and mission and see some fruit. And then we get into it and we find we're much more like Moses being debilitated by the people of Israel, constantly grumbling. And we didn't anticipate that we would be um, up to our elbows in family breakdowns and non-Christian church wardens and people who hate our Bible teaching and bickering deacons and, and all the rest of it. And thinking, well, we've got long years behind us and long years in front of us that might have nothing to show for it. Yeah, yeah. And deep down, it becomes quite easy to assume that the problem's us. So it's not just that our dreams have gone unrealized, but we find discouragement going hand in hand with unresolved guilt that we haven't been successful for the Lord, and maybe grief that he hasn't proved himself successful for us as well. This is very profound stuff, Marcus. Thank you. Really, really helpful. We've got five minutes or so to to, to chat uh, further on this on this theme of fear. Um Certainly, uh, it's the season of Easter, and it'll be good just to remember, of course, the disciples were... You know, we're fearful. Um, Absolutely. And so that may be something to remember at this time of of resurrection. Well, it it is a time of resurrection, isn't it? They were behind closed doors for fear. And they needed Jesus to walk into that room and say, fear not. And we're all now stuck behind doors for fear. We're anxious for society and our loved ones and our employment and our health and maybe even for life and death, and how good it is at the moment to pray particularly for Boris Johnson. 
um, God has the most important things to say about all of those things. And I think it is a critical time to remind ourselves about what we're all about as Christian leaders. I, I wonder how many things that we have committed ourselves to that actually are extraneous. I wonder if this Easter isn't a chance for us to reorient ourselves to original purpose and to see some of the additions that distract us or consume our energies for, for what they are. What we're about, and especially at Easter, is proclaiming the crucified and risen Jesus as King. We're about inviting people to follow him with us. We're about prayer. We're about ministry of the words. We're about being disciples who participate with him in proclaiming the kingdom of God. And that's it. The other stuff, the making organizations work, the legal frameworks, the safeguarding, the accounts, all the rest of it, that, that's only in service of those things. Yeah. So I do, you know, we, we love thinking with leaders generally about patterns and habits for spiritual healthiness. Passover and then Easter was a celebration. It was a, it was a feast. And we celebrate first solemnly and then joyfully because the most world-changing thing has happened. In the Old Covenant, they had their habitual patterns of stopping and basking in God regularly. So they had weekly Sabbaths, obviously. They had four-time-a-year feasts. They had jubilees, weekly, annual, and lifetime patterns for drawing from the wells of salvation. Easter isn't usually very Sabbathy for leaders. We run so many things in Easter week. So I just wonder if our current period of enforced stopping might encourage us to look at longer-term patterns for drawing healthily for the well, from the wells of salvation might cause leaders just to stop and think, what do we want sustainable spiritual healthiness to look like long-term for us after the current crisis has passed? Amen. As time's defeated us, Marcus, it would be lovely if you would be able just to pray for those listening, and especially those in a leadership role at uh, this time. Oh, yes, let's do that. Um, Psalm 94. Let me just flick up Psalm 94. Uh, has just these wonderful verses uh, in it. Psalm 94, verse 18, When I said, My foot is slipping, your love, O Lord, supported me. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought joy to my soul. So, Lord, we thank you that you haven't somehow put the universe on hold. We thank you that Romans 8:28, you conforming us to be like Jesus, is still true, and you're doing it through the current events as well. So would you change how we pray? Would you help us to trust and lean in on you and grow and wait on you in fresh ways? Would you help us to articulate the gospel and dig it so deep into our hearts it comes out of all our pores? And would you help us as leaders not to be worried about being vulnerable and weak, not to uh, at this time become yet more performative than we're tempted to be ordinarily? Uh, Lord, performative leaders are going to fall off the perch in the face of the world changing things that you are doing. So please help us to humble ourselves under your almighty hand. Would you explode our view of sovereignty? Would you help us understand that you're sovereign in everything, in all the big things and in all the small things of our lives, and the way the big affects the small? And Lord, for any listening to this wondering what difference faith makes, who are perhaps hanging on by their fingertips, would you assure them that the Lord Jesus is a mighty rock 
that he has hold of them, that he's the one who keeps them safe in the day of trouble and sets their feet upon a rock. Lord, most of all, would you help us uh, come through this and out of it, if indeed there's another side of it, deeper in prayer and more casting our burdens on you because you care for us. And in the name and power of the Lord Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. 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 Thank you, Marcus, so much. That's really, really special. Thank you. So you've been listening to Leadership Far with me, Andy Peck. I was joined this week by Marcus Honeyset, the founding director of Living Leadership. Do go to their website and find out more and maybe connect yourself with, with their work. So thank you, Marcus. Thank you, Andy. It's lovely to be here. And, uh, and thank you for listening and uh, happy Easter to you. And uh, do, as I say, log on to Premier's website and find archive versions of Leadership Far, including this one in due course. Thanks for tuning in and for listening. God bless. You've been listening to The Leadership File on Premier. Andy Peck serves as a tutor at CWR, a Christian charity whose courses and publications aim to apply God's word to everyday life. Contact him via email apeck at cwr.org.uk. 